Hi, I'm Leslie Manukian, president of Health Freedom Defense Fund and host of Conversations on Health Freedom, a podcast about our most sacred human right. Today, my guest is Taryn Gregson. Taryn is a former golf broadcaster who was fired while pregnant during the PGA Tour's COVID mandates. The PGA refused her religious exemption from masking and testing. She is now the host of Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, and she is the author of an upcoming book, Soulful Influencer, An Unapologetic Approach to Transforming Your Life on Social Media, to be released early in 2024. I just want to say thank goodness you didn't comply as there is alarming evidence of injury to unborn babies when mothers, pregnant mothers mask. This has been done in animal studies. I don't know if you've heard about it, not to mention people who received the shot, but welcome to the show, Taryn. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. And, you know, I'm actually Kristen Megan, who is an industrial hygienist, and she's one of my colleagues here at We the Patriots USA. She has her own show called Vets and Visionaries. And She's on my show talking about these studies showing about masking leading to stillbirths. And she even cites a site. She used to, she's a former military veteran and she used to um, have to, you know, do the, the masking evaluations for people, you know, that were around hazardous material and things like that in the military and pregnant women were always exempt. They were always stated not to wear a mask because they had these studies going back to 2015 and the early 2000s where they know that it impedes the gaseous exchanges and hurts the baby. And is, uh, you know, that's always been a no stop in the military. And then all of a sudden, funny, all of a sudden she couldn't find those studies um, online anymore whenever, uh, whenever, you know, the masking mandates came out, but we uncovered them a couple of weeks ago. So we were happy to do that. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. I've been in touch with some um, scientists from in the United States, but also in Europe who've done fantastic research. And I was being told in the beginning <clears throat> that the, um, that there were studies in animal models, mice and rats, where the animals, the offspring had, they had lots of live uh, stillbirths, lots of neurological impairment, motor function impairment, all different kinds of issues as a result of these masks. And so, you know, it's interesting because I wonder how hard it is to tease out the impact of masking on pregnant women from the impact of the shots on pregnant women and, and what is really causative in the, you know, harms that we're seeing. And I suppose we'll never know because there's never been a controlled study done like this. I mean, there's a giant experiment that's been done, but Exactly. Yeah. Very big experiment, but no, I don't think we'll ever know. And I think that that's, um, it can also be, you know, kind of a shame, right? Because we've had a couple studies recently coming out of the UK that attribute stillbirths to mask mandates. And a lot of people that are trying to discredit that study are saying, well, you know, well, how do we know it's the masks? How do we not know that it's COVID or obviously those people aren't bringing up the vaccine, but some people are, some people are like, how do we know it's not the shot or the jab, you know? So, um, I think you're right. I don't think we'll ever really know, but, um, I, I don't think it's a stretch of the imagination whatsoever to know that there's correlation and, and causation. Yeah. Well, let's start with what really brought you into the health freedom movement, Taryn. Um, you, you know, this wasn't your, <laughs> this wasn't your ball of wax, not that you were averse to it, but it wasn't your playing field, was it? Absolutely not. No, God had a plan that was much different and bigger than mine that I had no idea was awaiting for me and all of this, but he slowly put me on the path in 2020. So I had two babies during the pandemic. I had a baby in 2020 and a baby in 2022. And that's how long the pandemic lasted. And that's how many, how close together my kids are. But I really started to go down that journey in 2020. Um, I, I had no idea, right? My eyes were not open to the vaccine issue whatsoever. Um, I actually, you know, a lot of times in these interviews, I start my story with my eyes opening when I had my daughter, but it really, as I start to think about it, it really occurred whenever I got the Tdap vaccine while I was pregnant with my first. And I had a horrible, horrible reaction. I was afraid I was going to lose my baby. You know, I was in my third trimester. I had never been that sick 
never in my life. And I was hesitant to get it in the first place. It felt weird to be getting a vaccine as a pregnant woman. Of course, I said absolutely no to the flu shot, but you know, I didn't know. And my doctor convinced me. And what really got my wheels turning was the fact that they weren't concerned about my uh, reaction to it. And whenever I asked my doctor, when I went back in for my next, you know, I called them, they're like, just wait it out. We think you'll be okay. I was okay. Next visit that I have with my doctor, I'm asking him, I'm like, you know, I know that kids get the DTAP vaccine whenever in the early childhood schedule. Should we be concerned? Because I had a reaction that my daughter might also have a reaction. And he's like, no, it's no big deal. She should get it. And I'm like, well, why does she need it? I thought I was getting it to pass it down in utero. And he's like, oh, it's a part of the schedule, whatever. And so I kind of, that put a bad taste in my mouth. And then whenever I had her in 2020, and I have this perfectly healthy little baby girl, my pediatrician's wanting to give her multiple shots at once. And I'm like, that seems like a the volume of shots for a tiny little human. That seems wrong. I don't like it. I'm going to be doing more research. So, you know, that really in 2020 got me started down the path and I started really button heads with my pediatrician. And I was introduced by a friend to Dr. Paul Thomas and, and his research and his books. And so my eyes were opening big time by the time the vaccine was rolled out in 2021. And I had already, you know, said no uh, to, to shots at that point. And then when my PD, when I went in for my last uh, well visit with my daughter to our prior pediatrician, and I asked her, you know, why were we going to be kicked out of the pediatrician's office? Why can't we continue to, you know, follow, do, you know, follow our gut in, in all of this? And she looked at me and she said, because this is what the CDC advises. And this was in the middle of my battle with private battle with the PGA tour. I hadn't been fired yet. And I just looked at her and I said, well, the CDC has been wrong so far and I will not be coming back. And so that was just really, so many people don't even know that that was a part of my inner, uh, you know, behind the scenes struggle that I was having while I'm sitting there going back and forth with the PGA tour about the the vaccine, my exemption, and then their discrimination. Wow. That is just um, a crazy story. So they actually want to inject your baby on the first day of life, you know, with hepatitis B. And that's been a big red flag for a lot of parents because babies are not at risk from hepatitis nope. B. Have you ever seen my movie, The Greater Good? Have you heard about my movie? I just saw it whenever I went on your website shortly before this interview, and I have now added it to my queue. I know I need to watch it now. Yeah, greatergoodmovie.org for everybody who hasn't seen it yet. But I think it's more relevant today than it was when it first came out in 2011. So 12 years ago, April 2nd, 2011. Um, I've shown it to a few audiences in the last six months or so, and they were just sobbing through it because I think that it resonates so deeply now. Now they really get it, what we were trying to say, like, what are the ramifications of all of these different issues that are not being addressed by Congress, that Congress isn't doing its oversight, that these health agencies are out of control, that we don't use placebos, we don't use proper control groups, you know, um, I mean, it's insane. I'm much older than you are, Taryn. I'm 59. And I don't know how old you are, but I know I'm older than you. <laughs> and um, 35. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, the reason I bring it up is because when I was young, um, I mean, I was terrified of putting anything in my body, let alone a vaccine when I was pregnant. And when I went to college and business school, no one said we had to get vaccines for anything. Nobody checked for anything. There was no adolescent schedule. There were a few when, they, when we were little and that was it. And now there's over 70 doses of seven, what is it? 17 shots, I think now 16 or 17 shots, if you follow the CDC schedule. And that's just for kids. And then of course, there's this whole thing, this DTP shot or whichever one that is that they, they, they give to pregnant mothers. Vaccines, for the most part, are not studied for their impact on fertility. They're not studied for mutagenicity. They're not studied for carcinogenicity. I mean, it's crazy. We have no idea what we're doing. And I kind of think that in some ways, so I don't know if you know the history, but basically in the um, late 1990s, early 2000s, the health authorities realized that they had really screwed up by putting so much mercury in the shots and that it was causing catastrophic injury, um, neurological impairment, and you know, learning disabilities and other things like autism in tons and tons of kids. And so they had this um, meeting at Simpsonwood, Georgia, Simpsonwood Convention Center in, in, uh, in Georgia. And that's being commemorated 
by a big march in um, on June 8th in Atlanta this year, which where I will be and I will be speaking. And <clears throat> it's so important because what happened was the vaccine makers, these the health authorities, they all got together and they're like, oh my gosh, there's a connection between this mercury that's in these shots and all the neurological damage in children and we can't make it go away. What do we do? Okay, I'm paraphrasing, but that was the gist of it. And then they go and they start, they shift out the vaccines. They start giving less mercury, but they add more vaccines that contain aluminum, which is also a neurotoxin. And then they start telling pregnant women to get these shots. And, you know, if you want to obfuscate what is going on, those are some really kind of simple steps that you could take to help show that it wasn't the mercury that was causing a problem, you know? Yeah, it's just so sinister the way that they do it and the way that they play on, they're targeting women with these, right? So they're targeting pregnant women and playing on pregnant women's emotions, making you feel like you're supposed to be doing this to help your child. And then when you're a mom and you have your kids going in for these well visits that are really just vaccine visits, um, you know, they play on your emotions to make you feel like it's the right thing to do for you and your kids. And um, it's really sinister the way that they go about it. And they do, they are not upfront with you or tell you, they just hand you a piece of paper. When you're a mom, they just hand you a piece of paper in that waiting room or in that uh, exam room. And they're like, oh, here you go. Now, you know, we'll be in the room, back in the room in a minute with all of the, the vials of vaccines to stab your children with, for lack of a better, or, I mean, because that's what it is, stabbing your children with them. And they don't tell you. Neither does your, neither does your OBGYN. They don't tell you your OBGYN doesn't mention and all of the vaccine inserts on 13.1, how those carcinogenics are not tested in pregnant women. They don't tell you that none of these uh, studies on your children and their vaccine are, uh, you know, there's no placebo in these studies. And they just don't tell you the risks of all of this. And it's all they do, it's fear mongering. And, um, you know, these pediatricians for the large part have just bought into the marketing that these uh, pharmaceutical companies have done. You know, most of them don't, they don't know the facts or the, the information behind these vaccines at all. They're just, you know, continuing to peddle the narrative that they've been taught in medical school. And, um, you know, and then whenever lawmakers and different people, like you mentioned, you know, hear about the, the toxicity levels and all of these and, um, you know, big pharma just finds a way around it and they put in a different kind of toxic chemical in it. But I mean, it just, when you, when you really break it down and you really, you know, just get to the very core of what it is, you are willfully injecting yourself or your child with a toxic substance rather than rolling the dice. And if medical, the modern medical system is so, is as good as they say it is, if your child were to get measles or any of these things, wouldn't the modern medical system be able to treat them for that if it is so great? And um, instead we are forcing a, um, a toxic substance into our children and likely setting them up for chronic illness at the very least, you know, uh, allergies and, and eczema. And at the greatest, you know, kids have died from these vaccines because they've been chemically and neurologically altered permanently for life from these vaccines. And people just don't know that. Yeah, they don't. And the thing is, they also know that roughly it's about 70% of pediatricians uh, revenue is well baby visits. So they have a vested interest in getting you in there and promoting the vaccine agenda. They do. I mean, I'm sorry, but that's the truth. And they are, they are actually leveraging the fact that you are pregnant. Yes. <laughs> and, and most you know, pregnant women are exceptionally concerned about the health and well-being of their babies. And and so they are more vulnerable or, or I guess, susceptible to being influenced by an authority figure. 
And then on top of that, once you, you um, deliver your baby, you're also in a more vulnerable state. And we live sort of isolated from, you know, multi-generation families, right? Multi-generation households where our mothers and our grandmothers told us, showed us how to breastfeed and told us, oh, this is what you do. I mean, you don't need to get put antibiotics in your baby's eyes. Breast milk will take care of that. No problem. If there's any kind of eye goo in your baby, you don't have to deal with it. Literally you do. That's all that is necessary. And I don't know if you know this, but you know, when you're breastfeeding your baby, there's actually a vacuum that's created when they latch onto your breast. And it creates this vacuum where their spit goes back into your breast so that your body reads it and then produces what your baby needs. I mean, how magical is that? Like, it's just, it's incredible. God's creation is so unbelievable. And yet we are defiling it with a whole manner of neurotoxins, immunotoxins, and other toxins. I mean, it's, it's horrific. Um, I'm glad you woke up. I'm glad that you are doing what's necessary to protect your children and yourself. But can you just tell me like why you, you were imposing, you didn't want to use wear a mask and you didn't want to test. And is that because you were pregnant already? Did you already know that there were issues? Like what, what kind of piqued I just, your interest? I just knew I had that discernment, you know, the Holy spirit gave me that discernment to know that it was wrong. And for me, I went through, you know, I absolutely knew that the, the vaccine was, um, was a no, no go for me, uh, or my family or my husband, you know, we're in our early to mid thirties. There was, we didn't fall in that category of needing the vaccine. Right. And, um, I had already gone down that road and I had already looked into my Bible as well on, you know, just the, just the defiling your body and your child's body with these vaccines and how that does go against my religion, not even talking about the aborted fetal cells that are utilized in testing and uh, various things involved in the manufacturing process of childhood vaccines and uh, the COVID vaccines. And so I filed for a religious exemption. Um, I, I didn't file for a medical exemption. I filed for a religious one because it did go against my religious beliefs. And I had every intention of when, you know, if I were to put my kids in a school that needed an exemption, I knew I was going to be filing for a religious exemption for them when, if, and when that time came. So that was, I had great convictions on that. And then I, at the time was not a clear on whether or not our jobs were riding on the vaccine. And once we went through the, through the exemption process, they let us know that we were as unvaccinated. I got my, they acknowledged my sincerely held beliefs and um, granted my exemption from the vaccine. But then they told us that we were going to have to follow these discriminatory rules if we were not vaccinated. And I asked for a religious exemption from masking and testing. Um, be, first and foremost, uh, here in the state of Florida, we did not have mask mandates here in the state of Florida. That's where we were headquartered. So you go anywhere in Florida and there are no mask mandates. Um, and so they were marking us basically and uh, discriminating against us in the workplace for this. And this was in uh, fall of 2021. People were already testing positive for COVID by that point that had gotten the shot. So I requested a religious exemption from masking and testing. My main uh, concern was that masks in the Bible, anytime you cover your face in the Bible, it is out of shame, you know, and whether you're a prostitute or someone that's ashamed of something that's happened, covering your face is a sign of shame. And I was not ashamed to not be vaccinated. And I said, I will not stand for discrimination. And um, so they, they didn't care about that. They said, these are our policies, regardless of your religious beliefs. I requested to continue working from home then. If they weren't going to honor and allow me to go work to work, just like my vaccinated colleagues were, then can I continue working from home? I had been working from home for 19 months. And in November, they were requiring, uh, they were asking people to come back in. They said, no, you had to return to the office. They fired me and allowed my immediate team for three more weeks after I was fired to continue working from home, but yet they wouldn't let me. And I literally only wanted to work until I was going to have a baby in two months until my maternity leave. I'm like, I just, just let's get to maternity leave. Well, they fire me. And it actually turns out that they lifted the masking and testing requirements prior to even when I would have gone on maternity leave. So. Wow. Yeah. What a shame. 
Um, what, what time period was this that they did this? I was fired November 12th of 2021 and they early in 2022, they toward the end of January or early February, I believe I don't have the correct, the date off the top of my head, but it was prior to when I would have gone on maternity leave in early March. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you're aware of this, but July 27th of 2021, the CDC issued new guidance and that guidance stated that the shots don't stop transmission or infection and that the vaccinated should behave the same way as the unvaccinated, meaning that there should be no disparate treatment between them. So, I mean, these, these businesses had to have known, I mean, if they were paying attention and I, and they saying that they were paying attention. So, you know, you have to wonder, is it just an ideological purge that they were after? I think so, because, you know, they, like you said, they, every, the whole way down the road, it was, you know, we're following CDC guidelines, we're following CDC guidelines, and then it was, we're following OSHA guidelines. Well, when, you know, it was just a week or two before I was fired that the OSHA mandate was ruled unconstitutional. And so um, I brought that up. They didn't care. And even prior to that, I, OSHA's own documents state that if your employees are requesting a religious or medical exemption, not only from the vaccine, but from masking and testing that you should honor it. And I pointed that legal jargon out to them and they completely disregarded it and said, no, these are our policies. Um, I do think that it would, I think that it had everything to do with following that ideological uh, woke culture, because so many of these corporations were already doing that. You know, this is the PGA tour. They're a major sports league here in the United States. They were already following some of those um, ideologies prior to, to COVID. And now I think a lot of us are suspicious of the ESG scores and those various uh, avenues that are out there for corporations to, you know, be in lockstep because that was the creepy part. Right. And I am even more solidified into that talking and interviewing people on my show, Faithful Freedom, that all these corporations, it didn't matter what type of work you were in, they were all in lockstep on their jargon, the timeline that they started, you know, slowly, slowly saying, hey, we think you should do this to the, you know, eventually turned into, um, oh, you know, pressuring and mandating it. So um, yeah, it was just so creepy how everyone was in lockstep. And I think that it was all it, a coincidence, Taryn. It was all a coincidence. Oh, all a coincidence. And I think that too, it was a major weeding out process, right? You know, especially someone like me, who most of us uh, that were asking for religious exemptions, you know, there I wasn't the only one that was fired. There were other people that were fired too for being denied their religious um, exemptions from masking and testing. We know of people that got medical exemptions from masking and testing. So it really does feel like, they wanted to weed out and not just the PG, like all of these corporations, they wanted to weed out people that weren't following that ideology. They don't want them in the workplace. They don't want people who ask questions. They want people who follow orders and continue to march down the line. And I think it was a major weeding out process of people across, across America from uh, corporations and places that want to be in lockstep with either the government this woke ideology or a combination of the two. And um, I think that it's actually a silver lining for, for all of us that said, no, we're not going to go along with it. Or for people who later realized, wow, I don't want to go along with this anymore, even if I did originally, that we need to create our own paths. We need to create our own ways and our own jobs and our own uh, companies and and you know, stand up to all of this. So I think there is a silver silver lining in that weeding out process that now we can kind of start anew and create our own. Well, that is a perfect segue to my um, next question. Let me just say that I understand from the, you know, we have a lawsuit against the Los Angeles Unified School District, which is the second largest school district in the nation. They still have their mandate in place. We've sued them twice. The first was when they mandated the emergency use authorized shot. They rescinded it the day after we filed the lawsuit. Um, on behalf of California Educators for Medical Freedom. And then they represented to the court in July of that year that they did not have a mandate and were not intending to issue a mandate. And then 17 days later, they issued a mandate. So they lied to the court. But oh, what's interesting well, is- <laughs> sorry, to, sorry to interrupt you, but the PGA Tour, and, they'll, and if anybody Googles my name in PGA Tour, you'll see that they will say, 
we did we don't have a mask or excuse me we don't have a vaccine mandate we don't know what mrs gregson's talking about well if there's no mandate why why did i have to go through an exemption process and if there's no mandate why am i being treated differently if i decide not to be vaccinated that's the definition of a mandate if you require something and then you treat people differently if they don't follow that requirement that's a mandate it's called arbitrary and capricious. It's classifying people on the basis of their vaccination status. It's actually discriminatory <laughs> according to the constitution. But leaving that aside, what I was gonna say is echoing your point is that the teachers at LAUSD and staff at LAUSD who have medical exemptions are being treated or dealt with on a superiority basis, whereas those who have religious are not from what I'm hearing. So they're just trying to get rid of them, whatever. And um, whereas they're honoring seniority issues with respect to medical exemptions. And it just reinforces this idea that it's not about um, science. It's not about public health. It's getting rid of people who think for themselves, you know? So here's what I want to ask you about. Um, first, have you thought about suing? And then just touch on that briefly. And then what I really want to know is you talk about um, that you believe that we're in a spiritual, in a spiritual war. And I fully believe that that was the main reason that I wanted to interview you because I fully believe that there is this battle going on between those of us who believe in something bigger than ourselves, whatever it is, we have some connection to the divine. However, that appears for you in your life. We believe that there is something greater than us from greater than us from which we spring. And that we are not simply a bag of bones that, that this materialistic view of the world is wrong and that there's something much bigger and that we answer to a higher power. And I think that that's a problem for those who want to install a transhumanist agenda on us. So I'm fully in, um, you know, in agreement with you that we're in a, at essence, this is a spiritual war, but can you just unpack for us what your thoughts are on this? Absolutely. So to answer your first question, I am, you know, taking steps with We the Patriots USA, you know, they've come alongside me with my case. And so we're going through the Florida Human Rights Commission right now. And so people can pray for us on that. We are getting our brief together and we are going to hopefully hear from the judge what they rule on that. And then from there, we hope to continue to pursue the case further um, into the into the higher courts. So hopefully, okay. I mean, the whole goal is to set precedents, right? That people um, I think that we've seen some great rulings for people getting, you know, reinstated with their jobs due to the mandates and some with back pay and, and getting their jobs back and everything. But if I'm able to come on top of that with mine about mat discriminatory uh, treatment, you know, masking, testing, all of that, I mean, that would just really uh, set a huge precedence for for us and for people, people's vaccination status, discrimination to, to cease um, even further than just the vaccines themselves, but other types of discrimination too. Well, to me, it's just anything health freedom related, right? Yeah. We shouldn't be, you should not, there, no one has the right. I mean, I think like exemptions and all these pro things are completely wrong sided. They're upside down. I shouldn't have to ask for someone's permission to decide how I live my life or what I put in my body. That's just wrong. So I, you know, would love to get rid of all exemptions. Mm -hmm. And I think that they are, you know, uh, prima fascia completely wrong from a humanitarian standpoint even, you're yeah. not in a free country if you have to get an exemption for you or your child to in order to go to school and opt out of a forced medical treatment how is that how's that freedom it's, it's not. not it's not so so with that how how what's your view on how it's a yes. spiritual war Oh, uh, I mean, we are or spiritual warfare, or however you think about it. Yeah, it is spiritual warfare. I think it's spiritual warfare. And, you know, there's always been spiritual warfare, right, since the beginning of time and since uh, the fall of man. And, you know, we're, I think, in a heightened period because of our rejection of God. Um, our rejection of God as a globe, and particularly as our rejection of God as an American society. You know, we no longer have God um, with us and in our families and um, in our ideologies anymore. And, you know, now that we no longer uh, worship the creator, but we worship the created and what we create, I think that it is without a doubt that we are seeing spiritual warfare. I've experienced, I've experienced it almost every day. Um, and I can go into examples, but one thing I wanted to mention is I heard, I saw a headline today, Billy Graham and whatever you think about Billy Graham, he talked about how there are more, there's just been 
the, all of the demons have been unleashed on us um, here worldwide. And I think that he's right without a doubt that all of the, the demons have been unleashed on all of us. And, um, you know, it's anybody who's standing up to the truth and anybody who is following the truth and um, following the Holy Spirit and where they're leading and where uh, the Holy Spirit is leading them. I know that you are experiencing it too, whether it's little things like you know, maybe you're trying to send an email to someone that you're working with pursuing the truth and your computer crashes or uh, the internet glitches. I, it's all those little things. Um, you start to really notice them in your mm -hmm. life, right? And uh, the, you know, the spirit of the age, whatever you want to call it, Satan is just trying so hard to, uh, to, you know, to, to stop whatever it is that we're trying to do, um, to seek the truth and uncover the truth and to shed, shed light on the good and, and to do good for others. And my, I mean, I've got a story for you. So my, uh, husband and I are in the middle of a move. We are going, um, we're moving from Florida back home to Southern Illinois to set up a little homestead for my family. And I, we also, um, have our own youth ministry. It's a golf camp and Bible study called driving disciples. And, Coupling all of that with the work that I do for We the Patriots USA and my show, Faithful Freedom, we just keep getting roadblocks put up in front of us all the time. Like our, our, you know, car will have to go into the shop and, you know, break down when it's a perfectly fine car, you know, like it, it's just all these little, all these little things. Well, here I am needing to interview Steve Dace, who is a uh, talk show host for The Blaze, and he has his own movie, Nefarious. Come, uh, that's out in theaters and it is about nefarious is about spiritual warfare but mm. it's a hollywood film it's a hollywood film about spiritual warfare and him and his crew experienced all kinds of spiritual warfare try, roadblocks trying to make that movie and the week that the two weeks of the release steve became dreadfully ill and had to go into the hospital and so that was a major spiritual warfare that he was experiencing i was lined up to interview him and our um and, you know, we kept having to lay it because of his health status. And so the day finally came where here we are. I finally get to interview Steve. That night, my husband and I were so anxious and had so many anxious feelings and we couldn't sleep. And that's just the, op him and I are heavy sleepers, mm -hmm. the opposite of anything that it just felt like we were being attacked. I turned to my husband at like 3 a.m. And I said, I feel like Jesus in the garden right now. I know that sounds extreme, but I just, I understand the weight of the evil that Jesus felt you know, before he went before the cross. And like, I felt that. And my husband said, you know what? That's crazy. It sounds crazy, but you're right. I feel it too. The next morning I'm talking to him about our golf camp, uh, our Bible study golf camp and about how I'm interviewing Steve. I'm holding a glass of water while this is happening. And I feel I'm holding my baby, my one-year-old in one hand and my glass of water. I feel something hit my hand and the glass shattered everywhere. Um, and you know, my baby, my two babies are there. It felt, I, it is the creepiest thing. One of the creepiest things that has ever happened. And without a doubt, there is a demon there with us, you know, trying to, trying to stop what we were going on to do that day. And we pursued it. It made me more motivated, you know, <laughs> to push forward. But I know some people listening will think, oh, wow, that's crazy. But it is, I experience roadblocks all the time, but I felt physically uh, something that day. And, uh, you know, Satan want, does not want the light to shine. And he had been, he, he was winning there for a little while and he was winning. It looked, it looked like he was winning there for a little bit. Um, he, we know who wins in the end. It's not him, but he had that illusion going. And, um, I think he is threatened by the awakening that has happened. Sure. I, I totally agree that, that there's, the awakening is a threat to everything, right? All the evil on the planet, all the satanic um, inspiration, if you want to call it that. Um, but to, to even bring it down, to ground it for some people who may not have a belief in the divine, you know, we have programs that have been around for decades, 50, 60 years, MK Ultra. It is all about MK Ultra means mind control ultra. And the um, intelligence agencies in the United States have been studying how to manipulate the mind, how to do um, remote viewing, how to do remote action, meaning influence people remotely. 
Um, this is, I know it sounds, you know, like sci-fi stuff, but the thing is they've been studying it for a long time and they protest that they shut it down after the church committee hearings in the 1970s. I think it was 1975. Senator Frank Church from Idaho did all of these um, conducted congressional investigations and they wouldn't answer a bunch of his questions in the Senate hearings. They would not do it. And, but much came out and then they said, oh, no, no, we shut all these programs down, but I'm not going to take their <laughs> word Absolutely for that. Not. And they, we know, I mean, basically, I COVID was such a big experiment, a mind control experiment for them in so many ways. And I think everybody can see that. And we know, you know, I talked to some people in the education sector and they know of different ways that they are trying to program our children and brainwash our children. And uh, she, I, I can't wait to, I'm going to give you a little insight into an episode I'm going to have upcoming. Um, but one of my uh, education contributors, she has a video of kids in China who have had to wear these helmets that have different lights on the front of them. And so the teacher knows if it's a certain color light that the kids are paying attention or if it's a different color, like a red light or whatnot, that the kid's not paying attention. They're spacing so, out. <laughs> yeah, it's a form of brainwashing, you know, that they're trying to do. And- uh, Well, it's mind control. It's mind control. Actual, yeah, clear yeah. mind control. It is, and they're doing it on so many levels. And this AI stuff creeps me out too, I think. You know, it, whenever you're trying to play God, uh, bad things are going to happen. Very much so. You know, I was at a conference about two years ago and there was a woman um, who was Chinese who was coming up to me and I had this visceral reaction to her. And I felt like, and, and people told me that she was standing right behind me, like two inches from my back, whispering. <laughs> yes, That's it was crazy. very strange. And I got super sick that night super sick that no, the next day, maybe, um, really, really sick. And, but she had come up to me when I was, after I was speaking and she was just kind of bugging me. And I was like, you know, you're really, your energy is bugging me. Like get out of my space. I cannot, cannot tolerate you. And then the next time I spoke, she came up again and someone else saw it happening and was like, why are you here? And what's going on with you? And how come you're at this conference and asking her all these questions to try and get her away from me? Because she's someone who's been a member of this foundation um, that I'm involved with for a very long time. And so she knows, she knows of me and she knew that this person was up to no good. And the next day, that person was no longer at the conference, that Chinese woman. And several of us got very, very sick afterwards, literally within 24 hours of being in contact with that woman, less than 24 hours. You're it was really weird. Stocks. It was really, it was freaky. Yeah. And then, I mean, I was just, I felt like I had been, I don't know, attacked is all I can say. I believe it. I, I believe it. And it's happening through people and out in the open, it's happening spiritually. Um, then you can't see it. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. And, yeah. um, like I said, I think that, I think that those of us who get on, you know, trails of truth experience this. And, um, you know, it's without a doubt that if you are, if you are on the right track, there's going to be some roadblocks put up in front of you. Yeah. As they say, you know, when you're taking a lot of flack, you know, you're over the target, right? So, yeah. um, yeah, I, I want to be make some make a statement to be very very clear. I am not in any way, shape, or form prejudiced against Chinese people. I have no issue with the Chinese people. I do have an issue with the Chinese government and with agents of that government because I do not believe that they mean well for humanity. So I want to be very very clear that I am not expressing a racist or bigoted viewpoint. It is about. Um, the threat that I think the Chinese Communist Party poses to humanity, to our freedoms, and to us all living harmoniously together. I, I, you know, I want to be super clear on that. So um, you've done a lot of work on the whole, um, um, on the vaccines, the COVID shots, pregnancy, and why don't you tell us a little bit about that? We've probably only got about 10 minutes left, but let's just touch on that very quickly. Absolutely. That's been a passion of mine considering I was a, I understand what it was like as a pregnant woman to be pressured during that time to be vaccinated. So all the grace to, to women and pregnant moms that, you know, that did get vaccinated and did get the shot during that time. Mm -hmm. um, grace to you. 
grace to you, but the, the data is really scary and it's really alarming. And the timeline of it all is very, um, it's very sinister. And so we, we've started to see uh, and uncover documents through various FOIAs that have been out there in the medical freedom community. And, you know, Aaron Siri and his team that they got those Pfizer cumulative data documents uncovered. Uh, they were trying to bury them for 75 years. And so just looking at if anybody wants to search Pfizer 5.3.6, you see the cumulative data from the first 90 days of the rollout through February 28th, 2021. And it shows how women were disproportionately affected in this, in the Pfizer data. And Pfizer found 42,000 adverse events in the first 90 days of rollout. And of those 42,000, 29,914 of them were women. And they also don't even have, they don't know the gender of um, about 9,000 of those. So, um, so we don't even know there could be more women that were adversely affected. So nearly 30 women were adverse, had adverse events versus about 9,000 men. That's a huge uh, disproportionate um, adverse events. And then if you go on further in their cumulative data, they have a whole page on pregnancy. And they say that they followed 270 pregnant women. But then if you read down further in their fine print, this is how they hide the data, they actually don't know the outcomes of 238 of those pregnancies. So they really only followed 32. They only know the known outcomes of 32 pregnancies. And of those 32 known outcomes of pregnancies, 28 women either had a miscarriage, a stillbirth, or a neonatal death. So 28 of the 32 known pregnancy outcomes resulted in a dead baby. And Pfizer knew this after the first 90 days of rollout, they had the cumulative data uh, all together in February, at the end of February. And if you, other FOIAs that Dr. Thorpe and his wife, Maggie, who's an attorney filed for a FOIA to uncover health and human services, HHS had a $13 billion campaign where it was basically a propaganda campaign that they were pushing through various sectors in the U.S. and various influencers, the vaccine, and very uh, everybody had to follow specific language, right, that was handed down by the HHS, aka your government, that they had to follow in order to get this money. Well, the ACOG was a part of that. So the American College mm -hmm. of OBGYNs took nearly 11 thousand dollars excuse me 11 million dollars 11 million dollars from the hhs to push this shot on pregnant women and that was in later in the spring of 2021 after they already knew that the shot was definitively the shot was killing the babies um, of the pregnant women and so it just goes to show you how sinister it all it all was and how much everybody knew and continue to just accept money and, um, you know, be bribed, basically. You know, I've often, um, I've written about and spoken about how these supposed or these so-called um, medical agencies, people think that the ACOG or the AMA, right, that these groups, the American Academy of Pediatrics, these are pseudo-governmental um, agencies, organizations. They don't realize that they are trade groups mostly for the pharmaceutical industry. That's what they really are. They all take money from the drug industry and the government, and they are not independent. They're not telling you what the best standard of care is. They're telling you what they want the best standard of care to be, because then if you deviate from it, then you have risk. And so they're really pushing the pharmaceutical industry and the government narrative. That's what's going on. And I just caution viewers, anything, you know, all those, it's not just the governmental three-letter agencies, alphabet agencies, it's also the non-governmental ones. You know, you wouldn't take advice on coal from the coal industry, but you do it <laughs> when it says American Academy of Pediatrics or American Medical Association or American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, because you don't realize that this isn't just a group of doctors who are, who are independent and evaluating the science and deciding what they think is the best. These are groups that are funded by, and to some extent beholden to the, the, the um, pharmaceutical industry and the government. So I just really caution people. Um, I wanna wrap up with a conversation with you about something that I think will um, is near and dear to your heart. And that is the whole influence of social media on journalism. 
um, you're a journalist. Um, we have watched, I mean, I have a 20 year old, so I've watched the impact of social media. I've seen my son actually tell me that he thought that he actually got TikTok when he was in his late teens. And then after a few months or maybe a year, I think it was a few months, he actually deleted the app from his phone. And he did this voluntarily, he said, because he could tell that it was bad for him. Wow. He realized that it was really manipulating his mind and that it was actually, he was not in control of what he wanted to be in control of. And so he deleted it. Um, And I, I think that this really speaks to the power of this stuff, but there's also the power of it to divide us by siloing us into our echo chambers where we're fed exactly what we want to hear and see, and we don't get the other side, any opposing opinions. And then that seeks to further, you know, that serves to further divide us. So how does it, you know, how does social media, um, what are your thoughts on it? And how does that inform um, your views on the state of journalism today in this country and the world in general? Oh, the state of journalism is is fueled by clickbait and headlines and, um, you know, wow factors on social media. And, you know, uh, Twitter came about whenever I was in college uh, in journalism school, and it quickly transformed the, the landscape. And that came about at the exact same time, shortly thereafter, the crash in 08. And so newsrooms were decimated and torn apart because they could no longer, you know, everybody lost so much money. And so they got rid of investigative reporting and Twitter came around. And so then you had headlines and clickbait and the loss of investigative reporting all at the same time. And now we've seen the the detriments of that um, in our in our media landscape, you know, just a decade or more later. And um, it's it's like you said, the echo chamber is just um, it's deafening, right? That we all get into it and then we all have the silos. Now I do have to say that I think that it has allowed um, an, a new and exciting landscape that we have for media of, uh, I hate to call it alternative media, but you know, not independent, independent, thank you, non-mainstream media. Um, And so people are able to, you know, be informed and to, um, and to find out information so that they can go further and seek and seek further education and information to form their own opinions. And, um, you know, my husband and I, that was a huge key for us during the pandemic, right, to be able to find information in various other places. And then now me, myself, you know, be do investigative reporting independently and on my own um, for faithful freedom. So I think that it is without a doubt hurting our kids. And I commend you for being a wonderful mother who, you know, raised up your son in such a way that he was able to logically come to that conclusion himself. Wow. That's amazing. And it's without a doubt hurting our children. Um, It's behind the mental health crisis that we have. And it just goes to show you that, you know, especially if you're a believer, opening up your Bible is always 10 times better than opening up your phone, putting down your screen, going outside, getting fresh air, connecting with creation and with nature. That's always going to be better. And, you know, the Bible shows us time in and time how when we, it only takes one generation to forget about God. And I think that social media is such a distraction from from our maker, it's such a distraction from what we should be, uh, what we should be doing and leading in our lives and being productive members of society, right? You know, the Bible also tells us not to be lazy and idle, and um, that's what social media makes us makes us into. And so, it's another form of spiritual warfare yeah. where uh, the spirit of the age, the devil or or Satan or whomever is trying to keep us from being productive members of, and truth seekers. And so, yeah, social media is a weapon and we all just need to use it for good. And I think that we can use it for good, um, and use it sparingly. Yeah. I would argue that, um, professional sports are also, um, part of the agenda of keeping us idle because, you know, you support your team, you spend, I mean, these sports, I mean, the NBA, they have 70 plus games a year. That's 70 nights of someone watching three hours of basketball. And it means you're not reading a book. You're not hanging out with your family. You're not um, doing something that improves you or your community. Right. And, and you, um, 
you know, there's that old saying, bread and circus, bread and circus is from back from the Roman times, right? We have all of this food that's junk. <laughs> it's food product. It's not even food. And then you've got the circus, which is all of these sports and all these different things, all these spectacles that distract you away from showing up your school board at your school board okay. meeting, showing up at city council, showing up and testifying at a um, you know, at a hearing in your state capitol, doing or the way whatever. It capture, not to interrupt you, but the way it captures our children. I ha I'm a huge, uh, I have a lot of strong opinions about youth sports. And, you know, I think that there's a time and a place for, I think sports, there are a lot of great things about sports and there are a lot of, you know, you can fellowship and connect and come together. But again, everything in moderation, your child should not be being tugged from school to then to the sports field and you spend literally 20 minutes with them a day and um, you know they're burnt out because of the the serious matter that you take no sports should be fun it should be a form of play it should be a form of teamwork or um, character building and um, you know and you know obviously being active and, and getting your body moving is good but yeah. it is again it is a way that it is a way that they are keeping us busy but not productive. Exactly totally. what you're saying. Yeah. Um, my son was a athlete, three sport athlete, <laughs> all four years in high school. He's been, he's played three or four or more sports annually since he was a little boy. He's a big, big athlete. He plays soccer in the fall, basketball in the winter, tennis in the spring. He kayaks in the summer. He climbs mountains. He mountain bikes. He does, you know, all sorts of things, right? And that can all be great. Yeah. It, it all is great. And so yeah. I'm not denigrating sports per se. It's more this whole thing to which, yes. into which professional sports have evolved and what role they play in our society. And that's not to say that sports, you know, can't be good because they certainly can. And I think it was wonderful for my son. He's like, I say, that's one of his passions and he's a great athlete. And I'm, you know, I applaud him for all of his accomplishments but I also got to drive him everywhere. I would, you know, where I live, it's rural. And so in order for us to go to soccer games or tennis tournaments or whatever, it's a two hour drive, hour and a half to two hour drive, wow. which would mean that most of the time I would bring him back in the car with me and we would hang out, Yeah, you know? And so we got quiet time and private time together where we would talk. He'd sometimes do his homework in the car, but we would be talking and there was good time for us there, you know, but yeah. not all parents get that opportunity. And it does, it takes us away from being together as a family. It takes us away. It just occupies our time. It takes us away from, I mean, I think most people can't stand being quiet. Yeah. You know, I know. being still, be being still. still and just, and having nothing to do or being bored. They don't know what it means to be bored and what comes out of boredom, the benefits from it. You know, it's, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I think you've given everybody a lot to, um, to think about. And I really appreciate you being here with me today, Taryn. It's been fantastic having you on the show and speaking with you. So thank you for joining me on Conversations of Health Freedom. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was a true pleasure. I, I very much enjoyed it. Good. Can you tell us where everybody can find you? Yes, everyone can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Taryn Gregson. And there you'll keep up with everything that we've got going on, whether it's with my show, Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, or the different vaccine resources that we're putting out there on TarynGregson.com. Um, and also my new upcoming book, we'll have more uh, information about that, Soulful Influencer, about basically how to tackle social media from a biblical worldview. That'll be coming out soon. So yeah, at Taryn Gregson. Thanks so much, Taryn. Have a great day. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to Conversations on Health Freedom. Please follow us at healthfreedomdefense.org, where you can become a member, subscribe to our newsletter, donate to our cause, and follow us on social media. Thanks.